hard-hitting medical truth, cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for. Join Dr. Peter McCullough, world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the McCullough Report. Your life may depend on it. Let's get real. Let's get loud. On America Out Loud Talk Radio, this is the McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. We have a great show for you this week. We're going to lead off with a quick-hitting interview I did with Joe Peggs of The Joe Pegg Show on pandemic response, uh, what's going on in Congress, multiple public figures and updates on where they are with so many news stories. And then we'll move into uh, a dual interview that I did with Kristen, Megan Kelly, and Tammy Clark, who are both freedom fighters. They've had considerable experience on the legal uh, and environmental front in COVID-19, and they're going to take a deep dive into environmental uh, health, particularly quality of the air, COVID recirculation, other pathogens. You're going to learn a lot about this, a lot of practical things. And then finally, we'll have a short interview with Harry Fisher, who is a paramedic from Oklahoma. And boy, you've got to hear his stories of paramedic runs done during the mass vaccination campaign. It's chilling. I'm going to let Harry tell the story of what he saw firsthand. So let's get locked and loaded. This is going to be a rapid-fire McCullough Report. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. Great to have you along for the ride. Thanks a lot for stopping by. Glad to have this man back. He's been in the forefront of what's going on with these shots for COVID-19, the, the inception of where it actually came from. It's Dr. Peter McCullough, MD, MPH, and a bunch of other letters as well. Doc, good to see you again. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me, Joe. You know, I was in Phoenix recently, and then I saw you post on Instagram that you were in Phoenix. I really wish that we could have met in person. It would have been great to do an interview that way. We have to, we have to adjust our schedule somehow and make that happen. Well, I tell you, you're rapid fire, so let's get going. <laughs> We're going to get going. All right. Um, uh, first of all, the book is called Courage to Face COVID-19. Go to the website, couragetofacecovid19.com. Get the book. Learn everything that you have to learn. I want to start with a piece of video from Jerry Nadler, who is the uh, U.S. representative out of the great state of New York. He's on the U.S. House, re- uh, House floor yesterday, and he says this, and I want your comments on this if you don't mind. It protects against transmission of the disease to the next person. And the healthcare worker certainly ought to be required to be vaccinated. And when we have a pandemic like COVID-19 pandemic that we had, two-year-olds should have been required to wear masks. It would be child abuse for parents not to do that because there was no vaccination available for two-year-olds. And the only way to protect them... It's actually sick. He doesn't know anything about anything, but he literally says because the healthcare workers in New York that were laid off want to get their jobs back. They should never have been laid off because they weren't so-called vaccinated. And then he pushes the idea that a two-year-old should be required to wear a mask and if parents don't do that, they somehow are abusing their children. Your thoughts on that? He should be recalled, Joe. That's terrible. You know, Cochrane analysis has shown that public masking had no impact whatsoever. Even the CDC agrees. The CDC says only healthcare workers facing a COVID patient should have to wear a mask. The CDC separately says the vaccines never stop transmission. So he's completely wrong. He should just check the CDC website. Um, Rochelle Walensky, the CDC uh, boss over there, the director, the secretary, whatever she is, she was in front of Congress the other day and was asked about whether her statement in 2021 that you could not transmit it nor get it if you got the shot. Her answer was really, really loose with the facts. And then at the end, when pressured, she said, well, it did stop transmission and it did stop you from getting it 
for the alpha variant, but no other variant after that. Now, doctor, I've looked at all the studies, and even Pfizer admits that they never even studied if it stopped you from getting it and spreading it. Where do you think she's getting her information, or is she lying? She's not being truthful with the country. We had data from Chow, Acherian, Rhymerisma, of Corsi, showing that the fully vaccinated were loaded with virus. They were clearly transmitting it when they had testing. Paper by Singer, Singharajan and colleagues, during that time period she mentioned, 30% of all transmission was from fully vaccinated to fully vaccinated. That was published in Lancet. I'm telling you, she's not citing the data and that's a sign that she's not being truthful. Well, she's claiming it's Dr. Peter McCullough. Go to his website, PeterMcCulloughMD.com, or get the book at CourageToFaceCovid.com. Um, she's claiming that the science changed. Well, the science we knew in 2020 and 2021 is way different than what we know today. Is that true? Well, the, the data evolved over time. You know, early on, natural immunity was letter perfect. Patients weren't getting recurrent infections. We got to Omicron and it broke through natural immunity. That's an example of when it's changed. Okay, we getting masks never worked. Social distancing didn't work. And the vaccines rapidly failed. You know, I had um, uh, Richard Urso on, who you know, early on when the pandemic was happening, and he actually said that if you had, like, SARS-1, that you were immune from SARS-CoV-2. Is that true? It's true. There was a in vitro study that strongly suggested it. Years later, uh, the bone marrow cells recognized the SARS-CoV-2 pathogen, there's enough homology between the two that uh, one had immunity. So we all have some form of immunity, Joe. It turns out a paper by Chen and colleagues doing the Journal of Medicine October of 2022, once through Delta and Omicron, a second infection, Joe, zero risk of hospitalization and death. That's the reason why the hospital's been empty now for a couple of years. Those who are getting COVID-19 today, I've seen some studies, and you could probably cite them better than I can. It's, it appears to be those who have taken at least one shot. Is that true? It's true. Paper by Shretha and colleagues, Cleveland Clinic, Joe, every additional shot, higher risk of recurrent Omicron. The people are the best at Cleveland Clinic are the unvaccinated. So ask for an unvaccinated nurse or healthcare worker. Can you imagine? It goes completely 180 degrees against what they've been pushing. Doctor, this asks for opinion. You might, want, not, might not want to go there. But why then have they been telling these either half-truths or lies or making up data that didn't exist? Was it about power and control? Was it about making billions for the pharmaceutical companies? Do you know why they did this? They did it as a National Defense Act countermeasure. So this is a military countermeasure. When military decisions are made, they stick with them. They don't review the data. They're certainly not gonna stop at this point in time. Government's completely committed to continuing vaccination as long as they see fit. Uh, I've called on the floor of the U.S. Senate uh, December 7th, 2022, Joe, pull them all off the market. They're not safe for human use and they don't work. And then there's where they want to put mRNA um, technology into our food. We can talk about that in a minute. It's Dr. Peter McCullough. Go to PeterMcCulloughMD.com and CourageToFaceCOVID.com to get his book, Courage to Face COVID. We talked about the Buffalo Bills player whose heart stopped on the field and they resuscitated him quickly. You've been very uh, appreciative of those medical workers that came in and saved his life. When he was sitting down for an interview months later, he was asked directly, do you know what happened? And he's, he didn't say, yes, I do, or no, I don't. He said, I, I'm just not going to go there. Doc, why isn't he going there? Do you think he's been told by people, don't say what this was, because then they're all going to freak out because they've gotten the shot? He could have easily told us if he didn't take the shot. The NFL claims 95% of players take the shot. We should assume he took the shot and that his, his problem was COVID-19 vaccine-induced myocarditis and sudden cardiac death. We ruled out comodial cortis because it doesn't happen because of the shoulder pads and common tackling like this. 
He's claiming now that he had Commodio Cordis and he's going to return to the NFL. Boy, if he does, he's taking a big risk. He'll be the first person with a primary cardiac arrest defibrillator on the field who comes back without a defibrillator and playing, taking the same risks he had before. Well, you, you and I talked about this before. If he had that, that other thing, not myocarditis, if he had the other issue, he, he, would have, he would have just plopped down immediately. He didn't. He took a couple of steps. He, he looked like he was fine until he wasn't. That was something different, wasn't it? That's right. Commodio Cordis is a blow to the chest, uh, unprotected sternum with a baseball or a lacrosse ball, hockey puck, uh, you know, playing, uh, you know, ice hockey in the park. The bottom line is it never happens in pro football because the pads protect the breastbone and the, and the helmet is too broad. So he didn't have Commodio Cordis. That's not a correct diagnosis. And at this point in time, if he goes on the field or the Bills haven't go on the field, they're taking an enormous risk. It'll be unprecedented. I know that we have much less information about Jamie Foxx, the actor, but immediately there was a report from some insider who, who suggested that he has information that this was after he got the shot. He was told by the, some production company on a movie that he was doing, you can't be on the set if you don't have the shot. He had the shot, and then allegedly that's when he started suffering these, these issues. We've heard stories he might be blind, he might have had a stroke. I'm not actually sure. What I do know is Jamie Foxx is a performer, and if he could have by now, he would have said something to us. And he hasn't said anything to us. Do you have any sort of su summary you can make on, on the information we do have or not? I have no direct knowledge of what happened to Fox. I do know him. We took pictures back in 2021 and talked. He, he knew that I had concerns regarding the vaccines. But Hollywood reporter A.J. Benza right. says he has firsthand knowledge that, in fact, what happened to Fox is what you said. He was forced to take a shot, and he's had a devastating stroke a month of of hospitalization inpatient rehab doesn't look good i think fox's agents ought to come out and tell america what happened to warn other people he's a great guy i know him personally he's younger than i am joe very fit he's not at risk to have stroke unless he took a shot he's an amazing entertainer as well i don't know about his politics don't care i know that i get great enjoyment out of what he does and a guy at 50 55 whatever age he is and a guy at his age to have this sort of reaction when as you said he's he's fit look i'm 56 i work out four or five times a week i had covid as you know ivermectin some some steroids to get my lungs going again doc i was off the air one day and so even i'm not, i don't feel as though i'm at risk so pushing this on anybody doesn't make sense so do you think it's a matter of of a hollywood conglomeration or the government gets a hold of them because the initial stories about covid have now been sort of downplayed although um we still haven't heard from jamie fox do you think there's collusion going on to where all of the big media the big hollywood big sports big big government big tech all say look just be quiet about this don't say what really happened in 2021 uh, hhs and the biden administration uh, announced the covid community core program billions of dollars flowed to media hollywood uh, a whole variety of agencies. I think they took government money and they are forcing the vaccines and they are forcing a behavior where nothing bad about the vaccines is mentioned, including a devastating stroke, which uh, should be publicly declared to warn others. It is uh, Dr. Peter McCullough. Go to PeterMcCulloughMD.com. Go and get his book, Courage to Face COVID.com. I may have brought this up last time I had you on, but I want to go here again. It sort of piggybacks on what Jerry Nadler just said. Kathy Hochul, who is the governor of New York, literally was asked this by a local news reporter, will you rehire the tens of thousands of medical workers, the frontline workers that put their lives at risk to save COVID patients early on? Will you hire them back, give them back pay? 
And her answer, Dr. Blew My Mind, you may have seen this. Her answer was, why would somebody who's looking for health care, why would I put them at risk of getting COVID by the health care worker to begin with? I'm not going to hire them back. They need to get vaccinated. This doesn't make any sense. We're putting people at more risk. When she says something like that, isn't it time that we said, let's let McCullough decide these things and not some governor of a state? We can look at the Cleveland Clinic data, Shretha and colleagues. The unvaccinated are the safest health care workers. With each successive shot, there's a greater risk of getting recurrent uh, Omicron. So what Hoshul needs to know is hire back the unvaccinated workers. They're the healthiest and safest workers you can have in the hospital. Is there a class action suit here, doctor? They, these people have been out of work for a year. And as I said, early on, they put their lives at risk right there firsthand. When COVID, we knew very little about COVID. Shouldn't they be hired back? And they've got a suit here, don't they? Yeah, they should have a class action, no doubt about it. There's other class action uh, activities going on around the nation. Healthcare workers were unfairly fired. Now we know the unvaccinated are the healthiest workers, lowest risk of COVID. Now that we don't have a pandemic, and it's Dr. Peter McCullough, go to PeterMcCulloughMD.com and uh, check out his podcast, check out everything he does. I see you appearing everywhere, and your Instagram is really blown up too. Go and follow him there. Get his book, Courage to Face COVID.com at CourageToFaceCovid.com. The book is actually called Courage to Face COVID. So as we go forward, we're not in a pandemic state now. Cooler heads should prevail. People like you and Urso and Jesse Lopez and all these other people, these doctors, uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Gold, should all show up at Congress now that it's being run by Republicans, and the truth should be told. We don't want the government to ever again make medical decisions for government workers, for American citizens, and we don't want half information out there. Is there a, a move right now to get you in front of committees like Jordan's committee and Comer's committee and, and any other committee that's necessary to inform the American public and the government? We can never do it the way we just did it. It's true. You know, I talked to Chip Roy personally. He's on Comer's committee. The Congress still has not had a practicing doctor who treats COVID or vaccine injuries come testify on the congressional side. Crazy. Now, on the Senate side, I've been there three times. I've led two of the major sessions. But Congress needs to hear from practicing doctors who know COVID up front and personal and know how to treat it because if another pandemic comes, it's going to fall on our shoulders again. He's got a Substack. It's Peter McCullough, md.substack.com. Uh, He's got a radio show. Check out America Out Loud and get his book right now, Courage to Face COVID-19. Let me let me ask you this. Last question, Doc, and I appreciate you making time today. People watching and listening are still very concerned. They don't know how to treat their two-year-old. They don't know how to treat their 75-year-old. They don't know how to treat somebody who's 40. When it comes to COVID-19, what's the best practice right now? Just quick advice you can give people watching and listening on how they should handle this. Go to AAPS online. Dot org and get the COVID home treatment guide. It's going to apply to other viruses like influenza and related viruses. Uh, that's the best home treatment guide. Starts with virucidal nasal washes and sprays and gargles and moves through a treatment protocol. What is the website again? AAPSonline.org. AAPSonline.org. Uh, Doc, I can't thank you enough for your friendship and your vast knowledge since the very beginning. And when we're in the same town next time, let's make sure we get together. All right, see you then. Appreciate you. It's Dr. Peter McCullough. Go to PeterMcCulloughMD.com or CourageToFaceCovid.com. Wow, I love Joe Peggs. Isn't he fast and terrific? Well, let's move on to the second half of the McCullough Report. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. 
Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus and strengthen recall. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order, risk-free. Love it or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution, Cofix Rx. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix Rx nasal solution cleanse. That's cofixrx.com. Save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD at cofixrx.com. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. I'm on scene right now in Idaho at an incredible freedom event at the Boise Center, and I am sitting in between two of the most dynamic women I've ever met. And we, for the first time on the show, are going to actually discuss environmental medicine, environmental health, and exposure. So with me is Miss Kristen Megan and Tammy Clark, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves uh, about their educational background, and then we're going to get into discussion about educate about uh, environmental medicine. Megan, take it away. Yeah, so um, I'm Kristen Megan, and I have worked in the field of occupational and environmental toxicology going on 21 years. I am actually working as a senior industrial hygienist and environmental specialist. And to really sum- summarize that for your viewers, if you are familiar with OSHA, EPA, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, uh, JACO for hospital accreditations, and medical, nuclear, biological, chemical warfare. That is what I cover. So to make it easier for you, I am an exposure scientist. Wow. And what about your education? What does it take to get that far? Well, I first went into the military not knowing what I was doing, and I worked in bioenvironmental engineering. I'm degreed in toxicology and occupational and environmental health and safety. And... um, Yeah, I actually got my degrees while I was in the Air Force. So a lot of certifications. Mm -hmm. And Tammy, how about your background? Yes, so I have been working as an industrial hygienist and an environmental and occupational health and safety professional for over 20 years. Um, I am in the private industry. Kristen, was she's my military colleague, and I've worked exclusively in the private industry working with lots of different, um, I would say, you know, backgrounds like commercial construction and hospitals, hospital systems, manufacturing companies. And similar to Kristen, um, I'm degreed and credentialed through many government certifications. So let's open this up about in, uh, environmental exposures, toxic exposures. And let me ask each one of you, Kristen, out of all the things we deal with in the air, the water, and the food, let's take the workplace and the common workplaces that we have. What's the biggest concern in your mind in this uh, hazards of exposure? So an aspect, uh, actually, 
many people don't know this, but OSHA is a public health agency. And what we look at is something called total worker health or occupational epidemiology. So there is a whole myriad of exposures, but the hardest to control is anything that is airborne or an inhalation hazard, because it's easier to look at hazards that you can see, chemical contact, biologicals, things like that. But when it's radiation or an inhalation to a chemical exposure or airborne viruses, those to me are harder to control because you have employees that can move around different parts of a, a workplace and you can be exposed at a very low level when you're dealing with inhalation hazards. So I can't give you a specific hazard, but I can more say the routes of it's, entry. It's in the air. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, Tammy, so in terms of in the air, here we are and we're in a nice uh, meeting center. This would be like any hotel uh, ballroom. You hear a little noise in the background because the media part is so busy here. Um, but uh, in the air, in a commercial building like this, um, what are the standards to keep the air clean and free of things that, that would be hazardous? So OSHA actually has what's called ASHRAE standards, and these are engineering controls that must be followed by OSHA law uh, because OSHA regulations are as enforceable as law. In order to keep and maintain air quality control, basically all we need to do is increase our air cycle exchanges with our HVAC systems. Uh, This is required in all hospitals, surgical centers. So as you know, Dr. McCullough, as a practicing doctor yourself, when you are working in a surgical center or in a hospital setting, it is cold, it's windy, it can feel like you're in a wind tunnel. That's actually an engineering control because our air cycle exchanges are increased. And we're, what we're doing is we're pulling all pathogens up and out of the breathing zone for the doctors, the nurses, and the healthcare workers. Um, so this is why we knew with the response to COVID, and, and I can let Kristen get into um, the government protocols that were actually totally abandoned. We have great infectious disease control protocols through engineering controls. All of that was abandoned with COVID. And this is why we're dealing with this absolute chaos and fallout from improper government protocols and approach. So a building like this in a room like this mm-hmm. must achieve so many air exchanges in a period of time. That's right. right? Just give us an idea. There's so many air cycle exchanges per hour. So an HVAC or a poor minute per minute, whatever we're looking at, it depends on whether we're trying to keep an infection in mm-hmm. or whether we're trying to keep an infect- uh, infectious disease out. But how about right? a general standard like this building? What would be a general standard? Well, it's, a, it's honestly hard to say because it's the cubic feet per minute based on square footage. So it could be, you know, you know, 50 exchanges mm-hmm. per hour depending on the room. And it's hard to just say that as a one size fits all because it depends on how the air handling units are attached. But I can tell you that if you go into a room and you have what's like you take a tissue, the tissue should be moving. If you are holding a Kleenex and it's not moving, you have stagnant air. And a lot of issues is, especially during the whole issue with COVID, these aerosols can stay suspended in air for hours and days in stagnant air. So you wear your useless mask and your N95 respirator, but here's the thing. It's still going through the through the sides, through the leakage. Anything greater than 3% renders them useless. So in the grocery stores, someone that had COVID and sneezed, remember you expel aerosols just by breathing, that is still staying in the air hours, days later, unless you're lifting it up through that air exchange. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I had a chance to meet mask expert, oh. Dr. Petty, the oh. engineer, He's and he did uh, mm-hmm. an analysis 
of the air that moved around the masks. Mm -hmm. And you know what number I remember? 18%. Mm 18% of the air goes around the mask. Obviously, you said more than 3% renders it useful. I've also learned that if you hold up a tissue paper, let's say here near that that, uh, air conduit uh, at the ceiling, we ought to see it move. Now, when we go into a restaurant, my wife is always saying it's drafty in there, Mm -hmm. that it's drafty. So is what you're uh, saying, Tammy, is that is actually good to have drafts? It actually is. In fact, if we are in a building and we're noticing that the air is very stagnant, we know also that that's very poor indoor air quality. So allergens are increased, pathogens, bacteria, viral load is hanging in the air and suspended. You want it to be colder and windier because that's actually pulling all of that up and out of the breathing zone. Okay. Kristen, this is something that really bothers me. So here we are in this um, essentially like a hotel space and there's all these different rooms. We have the main meeting room. We're in the super crowded media room right now. But there's one room that I'm going to go into in the next hour and I will guarantee the air is heavy and it doesn't move and it doesn't smell good and it's the restroom. Tell us about the hazards in restrooms with air that's not flowing. Well, something that is very surprising to your listeners is that during this whole issue with COVID, I said it was not about health and safety because the first thing we should have done in restrooms is get rid of the hand dryers. Do you know that the hand dryers are attached to the same HVAC system pulling air from inside the bathroom? So you're spreading those those microns, those viral particulates and aerosols through the hand dryers. Also, when you are dealing with aerosol exposure, when you flush those industrial toilets, it just re-aerosize, aerosol, excuse me, aerosolizes it into your breathing zone. So we should have put toilet seat covers on the toilets. So you mean those super hard flushes, like you go in the restroom and it sounds like it sounds like zoom like this? You, that's why you have to open the door, put your foot and run. <laughs> oh the my gosh. So you know what? I can tell you as a doctor, this happened to my brother-in-law. Um, there are illnesses that you can go into a restroom and believe it or not, it's in the air and it's contagious. And yes. you know what one of them is? C. diff. Yes. Clostridium difficile. It's in the air and you go in a restroom. Maybe there's a sick person ahead of you. There's C. diff. Um, I'll tell you another one. The Norwalk virus. Oh, man. We got that one time on a ski vacation and you get a lot of people in a crowded area. So one of the things, and I've mentioned this on our platform multiple times with Malcolm, mm-hmm. uh, Malcolm out loud, mm-hmm. who's kind of a germaphobe. Um, <laughs> I've told Malcolm, I said, the hazardous, most hazardous place we go into is the restrooms. There's yes. no airflow. There's all these awful threats in there. And Tammy, my question is, is there anything that, uh, let's say this building really cared about hygiene and industrial hygiene, environmental hygiene. What could they do in a restroom in terms of cleaning, air, everything else to make it less hazardous? Well, there are several different things you can do as engineering control. So one of the things that Kristen and I were trying to inform people about from the very beginning is instead of mailing everybody their stimmies, you know, their thousands of dollars in stimulus checks, which did absolutely nothing to, to stop COVID or, you know, reduce the spread or anything like that. We could have just mailed everybody a $400 check and helped them to put uh, an engineering system on their HVAC system that would have improved and increased their indoor air quality, right? So like an iWave air system. Uh, We don't get any money off of promoting that system, but we both use it. So this is a system at home? Yes. And what's it called again? It's called the iWave air. And we like that system. So what does it do? 
it actually reduces your pathogens, like I mentioned earlier, bacteria, viruses, in your indoor air quality, your breathing quality, so, and even molds. And, and how pollens. does it do it? How does it's, it do it? Um, it's done through ionizing technology. So it's an ionizer. It's like sterilizing units use it in hospitals. So the ionization, it gets rid of 92% of mold bacteria and viruses by just killing it by going through the air handler system. And it's very similar technology to kind of the UVC systems that they're installing. So that's another control method that you can use. Well, I wanted to ask you, we have a UVC system in our house because we saw some kind of mildew coming out of one of the um, ducts and my wife got an HVAC guy Mm -hmm. and it was fairly pricey, but we were convinced that it was going to make things better. So you think that was a good move? Yeah, I absolutely do. In fact, I recommend everybody does it on their homes because every year during cold and flu season, we're all gathering, we're breathing in each other's stuff all the time. We are right now, which you know is healthy. It keeps our immune systems acting very strong. Um, It keeps them engaged. And so when our immune systems are constantly challenged, it's good, right? So the worst thing with that you can do is separate yourself and have poor indoor air quality. So that's a really good thing that I recommend for everybody to do. As far as the bathroom conversation, put toilet seat covers on all the the toilets and remove all the hand dryers and and just um you know replace them with paper towels now let me ask you something one of the um devices that is uh, one of our sponsors on the platform is called the genesis fogger and what it does is it uses a dry mist uh, HOCL. It's in a sense almost like a, uh, there's like a, not a bleach, but it's a bleach like a derivative uh, out there that can be used. And I know they use it in some industrial um, applications. Is there a role for uh, kind of aerosolized disinfectants and topical disinfectants uh, in these public uh, facilities? So I can tell you, I personally uh, like to study the safety data sheets of these deployed systems because sometimes those cleaners, um, they're maybe supposed to be more for like contact use instead of being uh, turned into a mist. So I would have to see the SDS to speak to it, but I personally don't like using any sort of sanitizing chemical agent to be into the air due to individual sensitivities. Um, But I think that that would be a form of an engineering control along with an administrative control. So it's hard to answer without seeing the SDS and what it does. But um, I think, I just wanna add about the paper towel issue. I agree with paper towels, but we need to start moving any items that we dry dry our hands with outside of the restroom. Mm-hmm. so that the, wow. those aerosols are not landing on any of the cloths inside wow. of the bathroom. Yep. You know, sometimes, since we're talking about restrooms, you know, I hate to have the whole show be, be about this, but sometimes... <laughs> I was some, just there. I'm probably infected. <laughs> but sometimes I'm in the airport and I really have to go. And <laughs> right. I go to the men's room and they have it blocked off. And they put this uh, yellow tape across. They're cleaning the restroom. It's like, darn, now I have to go all the way down to the next set of gates and find a restroom. But... Is there a role for cleaning of restrooms? I'm talking about various mopping, sanitizers, other things. I mean, it makes sense that a cleaner restroom is less uh, worrisome. Tammy, what do you think? Well, absolutely. I mean, the more sanitized something is, the healthier it is, right? But we have to be careful also with the cleaning products that we're using because what we have noticed, and Kristen and I were really sounding the alarm with when they, instead of looking at an HVAC system like on a building like this, you could, you know, spend anywhere between three and $10,000 to upgrade your HVAC system on a big commercial building. But we could have done that in schools. We could do that in airports. We could do that 
especially with restrooms being tied in, we could separate those HVAC systems and have them on a standalone system with an air purifying system. What I don't like is the chemical use and dependency that we have seen in response because children and teachers have been very, have become very, very sick due to overexposure to chemicals okay. that are not being used properly. There's not proper dilution and they're, they're not trained on how to properly use these chemicals and how to let, you know, dilute them, let them sit, let it evaporate for a little bit. No, they're, they're literally just wiping things down in between, you know, every class. And we're doing this too frequently in some restrooms too. You walk in and you smell that heavy chemical smell. That's yes, it's sanitized from germs, but now you have a additional greater hazard. And that's the number one no-no in our profession. Now you're exposed to chemical exposures, which lead to all kinds of other issues, respiratory, you know, skin contact things. You know, I was uh, listening to every word Tammy was saying. I was looking at her intently, but I couldn't help but notice that I saw part of her blonde hair on the side moving a little bit. <laughs> and that was actually, Kristen, that was actually, good thing. that was the airflow. And so I said, you know, she's kind of, you know, it wasn't like she was in a wind tunnel, you know, when you see these models in wind tunnel, but she was just a little, it was very subtle. It's on the side here. And I noticed, so there actually is some airflow. So there it can is. be you somewhat can imperceptive. But my big beef that I have is you go in restrooms and there's no air movement. Right. It's as if they've shut off the HVAC. It tends to be hot and stuffy. It's stagnant. It, it's stagnant. Mm-hmm. And you're right. They should have major airflow. We should actually feel a breeze in the restroom. Yes. I can't tell you the last time I've ever felt a breeze in any restroom. If anybody listening to my podcast, and I know everybody listens worldwide, if you've ever felt a breeze in a public restroom, let me know. Now, I want to tra- transition now to a very important topic because it, it, it's airborne and we've never addressed it. But I want to look at the, the environmental toxicology and build out at least an initial discussion on that. And that is, Kristen, mold and mold spores. But let me tell you what. It seems like to me there's an epidemic of mold exposures. And let me just say, when I was a kid growing up in Texas, I went to a high school in Northern Texas. There was no uh, HVAC. There was no uh, air conditioning. So we kind of sweat a little bit when we went back to school. And, you know, that's the way it was. But a people know from the 60s, 70s and beyond, the entire southern United States, as an example, and this would apply elsewhere around the world, we've had installation of air conditioning systems. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other day, I uh, took my mom uh, out and uh, out of senior living, and we decided to go buy our old house. So we went by our old house, and I said, Mom, look at our old house and how big the trees have grown and what have you. And I thought to myself, I looked at that house, and I remember the bedroom that I uh, grew up in, and I would bet that looking at that house for the last 50 years or 55 years, they have not changed the HVAC system. They may have changed uh, the compressor. They may have changed a blower, uh, a blower motor. They may have, you know, changed the filters on the system. But I think fundamentally, I bet the ducts are still there. I bet all the other conduits are still there. Kristen, let's open this up. Is the epidemic of mold in our country potentially related to aging HVAC systems? 
Absolutely. And you know, the best way to compare it is think about how the body needs to be in homeostasis. When you're talking about an HVAC system, there's so many factors that have to be just right. Relative humidity, temperature. It depends if you're in a dry climate like Arizona, a very humid place like Michigan. These different environments can make um, soot build up if you're not maintaining. You have to change out your filters every two weeks. I tell everybody, we're in a world we have more environmental toxins, exposures, construction nearby, where you live, you need to change out those two HEPA filters in your home. What that does is it wait, keeps wait, the ducts stop clean. there. Wait a minute. Every two weeks? <laughs> every two, every two yeah. weeks? I thought yeah. it was every six months or a year. Every two weeks? Really? Yes, um, and that is because it depends on where you live. So that is what I recommend because there's different climates. But also, people, you need to clean out your filters for your, your dryer and your washing machine areas. Those things build up. Like I said, the homeostasis. If one thing is off, it creates an environment where you're able to collect more moisture. There's things in your ducts that collect moisture. You have to have your ducts cleaned at least every three to five years. These are preventive, just like our body. You, your HVAC system gets atrophy, Dr. McCullough. Well, <laughs> right. I want to ask you about this. So, you know, I go jogging out in my neighborhood. I live in a mixed neighborhood. Some of the homes, believe it or not, are about 130 years old. Mine is um, kind of a teardown and was rebuilt. Uh, mine's about 20 years old. My next door neighbor, his is like brand new, a year old. So it's a mixed neighborhood. But I was jogging down. And I saw one of the houses, they had this van out in front, and it was duct cleaning. Mm -hmm. And these guys had giant mm -hmm. tubes, and they appeared to be serious, and they were sucking out things. And I was wondering, does duct cleaning really work to reduce this burden of environmental pathogens? And again, I, I'm sure there's mold, there's dust mites, there's all kinds of things. Tell me, what do you say? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I get mine cleaned every two years. And then what they'll do is they'll spray an anti-mold, um, antiviral, anti-pollen, you know, you name it, it's anti-everything. And then we leave the house for a few days and stay in a hotel to let it dry. And the reason is because we have pets. Uh, not just do we have high humidity in Michigan, but we have pets. And so the dust and the allergies for my family it actually really does help. So we also get our carpets cleaned um, twice a year. We uh, change out the filters, and Kristen had mentioned HEPA. That's a high-efficiency particulate um, type of a filter that really filters out 99.97% of all pathogens, molds, dust, large particulates that will cause allergic reactions and responses in the human body. So if you have pets, if you live in a um, moist climate like in the south, like Florida, like Michigan, like we have in Michigan, you need to do it more frequently. And it really does matter because like Kristen said, we are exposed to more environmental toxins than ever before, plus the humidity. And so if you're not keeping that dust and that dirt, the pet hair, the pet dander cleaned out, yeah, you could start to build up you know, allergies, molds, all, all of that kind of thing. Well, I have learned so much. Uh, we've been talking to Kristen Megan and Tammy Clark. They're both environmental specialists. And we focused uh, solely in this interview on uh, environmental uh, health of the air that we breathe in. I've learned so much. For sure, I'm going to have my wife um, listen to this one because we have to change things about uh, how the filters are changed and how frequently we, uh, we manage things. Uh, we've learned about uh, very interesting, these systems. And mm -hmm. it sounds like the systems, uh, ionic systems and, and other um, uh, uh, light-based systems can improve the air quality. But I guess the message I'm hearing is the air's got to move 
and you've got to do something. You mm-hmm. just can't let it flow. These these uh, filters that go unchanged. You know, anybody listening to this, you know, if you've got a loved one or what have you, and you're gonna, you, you know, I have to imagine, and I guess I'll, I'll flip this one over to Kristen in a second. I have to imagine that a real hazard is apartments and other oh, places yeah. where we don't control it. Kristen, what type of concern should we have? If someone moves into an apartment, what, what can they do? What, do they, what should they look for? Be proactive with your landlord and make sure they are supposed to follow the consensus standard, those ASHRAE standards for air conditioning, heating, ventilation, all of that. In apartment systems, your biggest hazard is that people aren't doing walk-around surveys to look for birds and other animals that are building nests. I had a situation in an apartment building where someone got legionnaires from the HVAC Mm -hmm. system and it was leaking. So you have to be proactive and they are required to meet certain standards. And it depends on the building and how much, how many handlers are on the systems. The older apartment buildings and the more low-income areas are tougher because they're not the ones changing their filters. And inside of apartments, those HVAC units are usually locked and a maintenance man needs to come in. So there's nothing wrong with you being an advocate, setting that timer at least, at least once a month, contact your landlord. Find out those filter change-out schedules. And remember, if you can swipe and you're seeing lots of dust, it's time to change those filters. But again, apartment buildings, it's the external hazards through those vents where birds and animals can uh, defecate so when you swipe and you see dust let's say on your dresser or what have you that's a, a potential sign you certainly move into apartment you want to be sure that there's clean filters and you want to probably take a look at the one that they've they've taken out um, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually give Tammy a little test an environmental test because <laughs> this really happened it's happened twice uh, actually it's happened three times it happened to two people we know and then it happened to my son and he's renting a duplex and we'll see if Tammy can get this this is a quiz so <laughs> my son is in a duplex in Houston so it's kind of hot and humid and it's an older house and he lives in the bottom floor of a duplex and then relatively suddenly his entire apartment the lower part of this duplex is overrun with fleas there are fleas everywhere they're just everywhere you go and he's checked everything he doesn't have any food out he doesn't have any fruit it's not coming out of the refrigerator he's changed it out the garbage he starts to do everything and he's overrun with fleas tammy i know the answer what could it be? Well, that's interesting because um, I had this actually happen to me. Uh. And no, I'll tell you, uh, when I was in Central America, we were staying in um, a resort. We were living with a family that was running um, a school. And I wanted my kids to experience what, you know, two thirds of the world actually lives like. But then I would give them a break and take them to this little resort for a few days. And it was fine for a couple of days. And then all of a sudden, we all had fleas yeah, in our beds and overwhelmed. You know, we were all getting bit. And I couldn't figure out where these fleas are coming from until I found a dead squirrel in the vent. Bingo. <laughs> okay, so Tammy got the answer for uh, the examples I'm aware of. I'm aware of two times in Dallas and then my son's. It was a possum. Oh. So it turns out dead animals are yes. magnets for fleas. Yes. The yes. fleas. Check, that's why I said the check, check the vents. Check. Yes. And so actually Kristen nailed it too. So um, you've learned so many practical things. So any one of you is suddenly overwhelmed with fleas, you've got a dead animal somewhere. <laughs> Go on the look. Right. It's not the bananas that you ate last week. No. It's actually a dead animal somewhere. We've learned so many practical things. This has been a wonderful interview. 
We're going to have to get on with our program here in Boise, Idaho. I want to give my sincere thanks to Kristen, Megan, Tammy Clark for being on the McCulloch Report. And uh, make sure everybody tunes into the one. Share this one because this is going to be one of the really practical interviews we've done on the show. Ladies, thank you so much for having me on the McCulloch Report. Thank you so much, Dr. McCulloch. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. AmericaOutloud.com. Seven amazing years. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio, liberty and justice for all. The wellness companies offering the Signature Series Spike Support Formula. The wellness company supports this formula because it's designed to remove spike protein from the body in its design, in terms of its mechanism of action, The accumulation of spike protein occurs because of repeated COVID-19 vaccination and COVID-19 illness. The spike protein stays in the body a long time, causes heart, brain, body tissue damage, as well as blood clotting. The spike support formula is designed to help the body catabolize the spike protein, begin to remove it through its natural mechanisms. It includes natokinase, the principal ingredient, 2,000 fibrinolytic units or 100 milligrams. Those are uh, equal in terms of uh, conversion. Selenium, 75 micrograms. Black sativa extract, 500 milligrams. Irish sea moss powder, 500 milligrams. Green tea extract, 150 milligrams. And dandelion extract, 50 milligrams. Why the other ingredients? The other ingredients are designed to help block the spike protein's effect on tissues, help tissues recover and repair. It's the best we have now when patients are in need. At this point in time, we can't make broad therapeutic claims regarding disease states, but we can tell you that this is reasonable in terms of supporting the body and helping the body clear spike protein and allowing your pathway back to better health. So go to twc.health and check out the spike support formula. You can use our promotional codes or go through our banner bars on our site to get promotional codes and discounts on your purchase. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Make sure you go to our website and check the banner bars. The banner bars to the sponsors, when you click on them, automatically give you a discount on products. I like especially Healthy Cell REM Sleep Supplement for a great night's sleep. I took it last night. No wonder I feel so good today. Check out Healthy Cell and go to our website, Banner Bar, to get a discount off your first purchase. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. 
Let's get real. Let's get loud on America on Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. I have a breaking interview today with Mr. Harry Fisher, who's a paramedic, and he's going to give us an update on what he's seen in the field uh, in terms of injuries uh, and serious complications after COVID-19 vaccination. Harry, welcome to the McCullough Report. Hello. Thank you for having me, sir. I appreciate it. Well, let us know where you work and what's caused you to step forward and speak out. Uh, I literally stepped forward um, almost the moment it rolled out. I was working in Oklahoma City for IMSA, Oklahoma City. It was an ambulance service, still is an ambulance service in Oklahoma City. It runs a major metropolitan, and they were saying they were going to roll out this experiment. And I already had just some thoughts that maybe this is not okay, but I was still iffy. And then they called me out to a scene where a shot line was occurring, a Pfizer shot line was occurring and a lady had passed away in the shot line. Like she just had her second dose. I put it in my report, everything. And I was doing CPR in the Pfizer line. And a nurse came over to me and said, this is the second one in two weeks. Meaning this is the second one that died in two weeks. Yeah, it was it was surreal. And I, I literally looked over my shoulder and saw that people weren't leaving the line. Like, can you imagine people like me, a fire crew and my partner doing CPR at the front of the line and looking over your shoulder and no one leaving the line? This is right in the vaccine center, Harry, right there. Yeah, so because they would they wouldn't do it in the hospitals, per se, but they would do it in the parking lots. They would do it in the. So Mercy Hospital put out, put out a shot line in the front of their hospital in like a, almost like a clinic line. Um, and yes, it was, it was just lots of, remember when they first started to roll out, it was older people that they allowed first, like a certain age group, I believe is how they did it. I'm not sure, but everybody was older in the line and we were doing CPR on this lady and no one was leaving. Like it was, it was so surreal. Like, uh, I looked over my shoulder and I saw them not leaving and we, she didn't make it and God rest her soul. But the nurse, when she came over to me and said, it's the second one in two weeks, it was like red flags just going off like crazy in my brain. And I, I, yeah, it was insane. Um, Did did you ever, Harry, did you ever get called to nursing homes where they passed away? I did. Um, And sadly the nursing homes, they were taking, the people that were taking the shots into nursing homes, because do you remember at the start of this when they were saying it had to be kept so cold? Like, oh my gosh, it has to be cold. It has to be really cold. Uh, they had to have certain refrigeration for these shots. Do you remember that or no? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, they weren't, they weren't using refrigeration. I was watching people go into these nursing homes with mRNA shots with n- not in cold gear. Like they were just carrying them in. And I was wondering, when did it change? Why aren't they taking them in cold? They're just taking them in. And yes, uh, so many people died in the nursing homes. We had heart attacks, strokes, like it was going out of style. I mean, I don't mean to be rude, God forgive me, but it was just a lot. Um, We had happy hypoxia. Uh, Do you remember happy hypoxia? Yeah, people get kind of goofy when the oxygen saturation is low. Some of them acted completely normal, which was very weird, like at 40, 50% saturation. The mystery of happy hypoxia is something I still don't understand. If you get time to look into it, Doc, I would 
appreciate your feedback on it because it's something I didn't understand. Now, Harry, is this in the context of taking the shots? When going into the nursing home, did they report that they just had a shot in the last few days or last week or so? And they didn't, they didn't report much. They didn't report much, Doc. That's, the, that's actually a big problem is, like, I was one of the few paramedics asking, did you have a shot? Or even if you could, most of the dementia patients can't actually tell you because they were just giving the shots to them. They were giving them shots. Um, nursing homes, the mandates were just terrible. They, you, you, you don't know consents. And Harry, um, what, what did you see when you got called to people's houses? Like, let's say someone like me, you know, I'm age 60. Did you get called to some houses where people had taken a shot recently and keeled over and you end up doing CPR or studying yeah, an IV? I, I, a lot of those, a lot of a lot of those people either had aortic aneurysms. Uh, I've seen more aortic aneurysms than I've seen in my, I've been a paramedic for almost 30 years. I've seen more aortic aneurysms, especially in your age group than I've ever seen before in my entire life. I've also seen 12 year old strokes. I went to a call where a 12 year old had just got her second Pfizer shot and she was playing, playing kickball and she got a thunderclap headache like just immediate headache and she was playing kickball, no health issues. And her mom was a nurse. Her mom got there to me and said, could it be her blood sugar? Well, she was paralyzed on the left side of her body, had a thunderclap, thunderclap headache mm -hmm. and she couldn't speak. She was, she was slurring mm -hmm. her speech just bad. And I said, no, she's having a stroke. And uh, I said, does she take any medications? And her mom was like, no. And I said, has she taken any of these shots? Most paramedics just aren't asking these questions. Mm -hmm. Like most doctors, like I, I, I don't see many people asking, have you taken the shots? Like, it's almost like they don't want the data. Like yeah, they don't want to know. They don't want to know. I know. Um, so anyhow, you said, did she take the shot? What did mom say? She, she did. It was a week and a half to almost two weeks after her second oh, Pfizer no. shot. And she had a stroke. And was this an intracranial hemorrhage that turned out to be subarachnoid hemorrhage? Uh, I'm a, I'm a I dropped him off, and I, they don't, they don't actually tell. I know she was paralyzed on her left side, and she couldn't right. speak to me. So, so it probably, fit. but I mean, yeah. I don't. They don't like. I run so many patients, doc, and they don't actually tell me. Like I, and that's it's good and bad. Like I want to know, and if I, I, but at the same time, I, I really don't. I, I mean, I run so many people. I don't want to know half the time because yeah. it's. I want to sleep at night. But have you seen any kind of small babies that you think got in trouble with the vaccine? <laughs> I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because I'm angry. Uh, I got, I went to North Dakota and I, uh, uh, I went, I went from New York city to North Dakota during COVID. I was working contract work before they mandated the shots. And I went to North Dakota on a, a native reservation and I saw, and they hit that native reservation like it was going on. So I had to innovate my nurse manager. After her second shot, she had multiple blood clots in her lungs. I had one nurse who literally quit her job because they were mandate. They started to mandate the shots, and she quit because her husband died after his second shot, and his her husband's brother died a week after that of a heart, both heart attacks. And she was like, "I'm not taking it. I'm not doing it." And she quit. We innovated our nurse manager. I saw nine spontaneous abortions from all age groups. Like I'm talking about from three to say nine months in one night. 
in one night i had to call i had to call that because i was in on the native reservation i was working as a paramedic i worked the er and i worked the ambulance so if a call came out i would jump on the ambulance i would go to the call on the reservation and i'd bring them back and then i would work in the er with the pa that was working there because most of the time we didn't have a doctor we had a pa or a nurse practitioner so i would work with them to actually make it work because paramedics we can do airway we can do we can do we're not just ambulance drivers we can actually do things and they use us especially during covid they utilized us a lot um and i saw more the the worst i saw was on native reservations i've never i've never seen that much blood to be honest with you so you think the american indian uh people suffer greatly with these vaccines it sounds like Yes. Well, based on what I saw, I mean, I, I can only tell you one reservation, but what I saw, it was worse than because from there I went to Muskogee, Oklahoma, and they had it bad, too. I mean, I saw young heart attacks. I saw young strokes in Muskogee. I saw abortions or spontaneous abortions. I call it spontaneous, uh, miscarriages. Um, but that reservation got it really hard. Yes. Did you see any? stillbirths that would be uh yes loss yes. of the baby after 20 weeks harry yes i did you did yes and then you know a final question i have for you this is just a stunning report uh, did you get called to any cases where an athlete uh, had sudden death on the field and it was suspected they took a shot we've heard of so many football players basketball players uh, uh, others I I've gotten like soccer. Uh, we have soccer and we have uh, football. I've gotten like spontaneous seizures, um, like never had seizures before. Um, and they, but the weird thing was they were describing them weird. Um, you know how a seizure normally they can't remember anything at all. You know what I mean? Like it's, mm -hmm. it's like they, they go through um, a postictal period. Right. The, these people were describing it when the shots rolled out, they were describing it like they could realize what was going on, but they couldn't move, almost like a paralyzed state. Uh, and those were kids that had gotten the shots because I asked them if they had the shots, da da da. Um, but predominantly strokes and heart attacks. As far as doing CPR on the field and anything like that, I haven't done that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Wildly enough, now I'm gonna. I mean, because no one would hire me because I, I wouldn't take the shot. I wouldn't take it, so I. A paramedic who's been doing this for 30 years, when they really need paramedics, they, they wouldn't hire you, which is genocide on its own because, I mean, it's 45 minutes for an ambulance to come to you in Oklahoma City, but they wouldn't hire you if you didn't take a shot. So that's just more time. So I found a place in a small town that would hire me, and they, they allowed a religious exemption. And I've seen more horrible things in this small town since these shots, which is just proof more enough that something bad is occurring and it's very sad doc i mean it's it's it, it's it's like watching genocide roll out in front of you and you don't know what to do about it wow what a compelling report we've been talking to mr harry fisher paramedic oklahoma city uh, also uh, had experience in new york city up in the central midwest experience with native indian populations and now in rural oklahoma Harry, this is a stunning report. Do you have any final words for our audience? I hope and pray everyone is okay. And I'm sorry that you're experiencing a, a very bad time in human history where 
good and bad is clashing and i pray that we all do the right thing and other than that i'm, I'm going to keep working and keep trying and thank you doc for having me on well i'm like you harry i'm going to work to try to warn others thank you so much for joining us on the mccullough report thank you brother let's get real let's get loud on america out loud talk radio this is the mccullough report Thank you.